welcome, welcome. This is Rose City Politics, a uh, special edition, I guess, because most people have taken the day off, and we have assembled a panel of three guests who have decided to uh, put in some uh, extra time here to speak on uh, the holiday that is Canada Day. And if you're listening right now at 8 o'clock, thank you for joining us on Canada Day as well and abandoning your plans to, I don't know, go light off the legal fireworks or maybe have an illegal bonfire or maybe partake in something legal. It's all good. We're so excited, though, to be broadcasting tonight's show. We're going to be having a discussion about food security, community engagement, and activism. And as I mentioned just a second ago, we have a great panel here to discuss with us. Our guests tonight are Steve Truant, who is an engineer by profession, who is one of the lead organizers for the June 27th Miracle Day. We have Linda Davidson, who is the Food Bank Coordinator at the Unemployed Health Center. And we have Sarah Savihudin, who is the Senior Manager of Community Impact at the Hamilton Halton United Way. And our regular panel tonight includes myself, John Lidke. We have Doug Sartori. Doug, how are you doing this evening? Doing just fine, John. Great to have you here. We also have Pat Papadeus. Pat, how are you? Doing really well, John. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks to all our guests for being here. Absolutely. That uh, feeling and that sentiment is shared by all of us. So if you're listening to us right now and you're not a Patreon subscriber, please do become a Patreon subscriber and help us produce this podcast. And that's at patreon.com forward slash Rose City Politics. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you. We're broadcasting live on tape still from self-isolation. We are months into the COVID-19 pandemic, and locally, uh, things just keep sort of evolving. We're not going to get into that tonight because you're all following things. Uh, Rose City Politics, though, is brought to you always with the kind support of Reuna 625, Building Better Communities. Now, as we said earlier tonight, we're going to be discussing community mobilization, food security in Windsor-Essex, and transparency and data. So up first, let's dive right into it. Miracle Day was a huge event in our community. On June 27th, thousands of volunteers were mobilized across Windsor-Essex to collect food donations, porch to porch. So I'm going to be bringing Steve in for this talk right now. Now, Steve, I'd like to know just off the bat, and I note that you are muted right now, so please unmute. Um, I'd like to know, how did this idea come about um, what, what, what spurred this? Well, um, we were inspired by the May 16th miracle in Chatham. Um, they, 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 um, started this idea basically because there's a need in the community. Um, actually two needs. Uh, one was a, a kind of a pent up need for food. Two was a pent up need for something positive to happen, uh, in light of the mm-hmm. events that happened over the last couple of months. So uh, they had an initiative basically to try to do a massive food drive to solve two problems at once. Um, We were inspired by what they did. uh, And basically with the help of the organizers from Chatham, we put together our own group. Uh, We started, uh, I believe just the beginning of June. So it was a three week from, from the time we started till the, to the miracle day itself was a three week um, time. That's an incredibly quick uh, process from conception to the results that you've had. I mean, you're talking about a lot of people that were on the ground there to get this off. It's not like something that you can do just, uh, you know, one person uh, lifting it all up. As I mentioned, it took thousands. But could you help quantify that? Like, how many volunteers are we talking about that was involved? And then also, 
how much food was left? Well, the, the number of volunteers, uh, I, I, I didn't see the final totals, as you can imagine, the last couple of days were, uh, were a, a little bit hairy, um, but we were over 10,000 signed uh, registered volunteers, um, but that doesn't count the community partners, the municipalities, um, you know, people on the organizing committee, um, just everybody that reached out and helped, uh, as well as the donors themselves. Um, it, was, uh, it was absolutely overwhelming, the, the outreach that we received. Um, people offering anything they could, corporations calling, offering vehicles, uh, municipalities giving up their arenas, um, you know, for in, in some cases for a month to allow for sorting and storage activities. Um, it was, uh, it was absolutely overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine that. Um, I guess, what, what's, what's the logistics like in trying to coordinate the flow of, you have, you have so many things going uh, back and forth at all times. Well, and that's where we relied on the community. So there was an initial team of 10 organizers um, that I was part of. And I, I would say we're the ones that got the ball rolling, um, but we just started it and the community took it over. So each area was assigned a captain. Captains had signed up knowing what the job entailed. And they're really kind of the brains behind the operation. Um, for example, in Windsor, we broke Windsor up into seven different neighborhoods. Uh, as well as your seven different counties, uh, county areas like Kingsville, Leamington, LaSalle. They had individual captains, um, and basically they were assigned the volunteers that signed up on the web. Uh, we had kind of built a quick database uh, to allow volunteers to sign up with the area that they would like to be operating in and what kind of job they would like to be doing that day. Um, jobs ranging from picking up on front porches to social media influencing to sorting on the day of and after. Um, so they, um, the captains really took hold of it. Um, really, we were able, like I said, to reach out to the municipalities to gather the, the drop-off depots. And in a lot of cases, the, the captains themselves uh, were able to secure drop-off depots. From there, they planned uh, who was going to be sorting, who was going to be where that day. They planned the route maps for picking up off of front porches uh, for rural drop-offs um, in, in the counties. They kind of drew the map line where people would have to drop off versus picking up. So they really did that. Uh, we had three weeks. They really only had two weeks uh, to get all those tasks taken care of. It sounds like it was a really organic grassroots uh, mobilization here. Which is grassroots is a great way to explain it because that's, that's all we were. Um, none of us had done this professionally. And of the organizing committee of 10, I think there was three of us that knew each other to start. So this was just people calling people, kind of coming together um, with a common uh, goal. Um, that goal being, let's engage 398,000 people in Windsor-Essex to take part in the day somehow, and let's get more food today than we had yesterday. And those were kind of our overall overriding goals that we tried to stick to throughout the project. Now, can, is there anything you can do to quantify like the amount of food that was collected, even just sort of like ballpark figure? Uh, not yet. Um, as you can imagine, um, with several different facilities, I think we're at 15 different facilities trying to get everything palleted uh, and just basically sorted and put on pallets to try to quantify what we, uh, what we were able to receive. Uh, it's a tough task. So there, especially with the holiday kind of falling in today. Um, so I would say uh, Monday and Tuesday have been uh, controlled chaos, uh, just trying to get everything straight. And uh, as we head into the end of the week, early next week, we will have our numbers together. And as I mentioned to Doug earlier today, we are going to try to quantify the number of people that we think this food will be able to help. So it's not just going to be about weight. We never tried to make it about a world record. We never tried to make it about weight. 
This was about helping people in need and bringing the community uh -huh. together. There is no failing at that. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Now, Linda, let's bring your, you into this as well. How did the UHC get involved in this initially? Uh, well, I, I had gotten a call from Josh and he didn't tell me that this was what was going to be evolving. I just found that out on Saturday. He was like, do you remember me? I was the one that called you. So it was quite, uh, quite exciting because I didn't know um, my initial contact, what it was about. We just kind of had a casual talk, conversation about the need and, and how the food bank, how, what has changed the dynamics because of the pandemic. Um, you know, what am I seeing? I'm a frontline worker. So um, he really wanted to hear about some of the stories and uh, I can tell you some stories, that's for sure. Do you want to elaborate at all a little bit? Ah, where do you want me to start? <laughs> stories. Well, we, we typically have a grocery store model at the Unemployed Help Center where um, they have a grocery cart, our food bank users, and they get to choose items according to their family needs, wants. Uh, it's, a, it's a friendly kind of option. And now because of the pandemic, we have uh, pre-made boxes. So things have changed because of the pandemic, but we're still there to service our community and to help, you know, um, the need that's, we're, we're filling that need that's very much needed, I guess. Well, and it's great that, uh, you know, the community is able to come together like this and, uh, you know, raise a, a significant amount of uh, food. That's, you know, it's just astounding. Now, Steve, I want to go back. Like, do you think that smaller events could have been as successful as what you saw here if it was broken up, maybe over a series of different days or targeted towards different areas? Or is the fact that it was such a large event that was aiming for something as big as it was that involved all of the communities, is that what made it a success? I, I think that's what made it successful. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> to get the first 2,500 volunteers is probably what I would call the hardest part. Um, after that, you have kind of a snowball effect where somebody that gets excited about the project and somebody that's gotten an email from their captain kind of outlining what's going to happen that day. They call their mother, they call their father, they call, you know, their, their sister and brother. Uh -huh. And, you know, from every one volunteer, you get five volunteers. So to put together a smaller event, I think it's probably the same amount of work, <laughs> the same amount of logistics planning. Uh -huh. We did have a lot of, um, the community outreach part, you know, to try to get um, facilities and arenas and transport trucks and uh, forklifts and bins and totes and boxes to do it once a year uh, is, is probably a little bit more palatable than trying to do it multiple times a year. Yeah. Granted, you wouldn't need as much um, if you were doing a smaller event, but I think the attractive part is, you know, everybody could be part of it. Everybody, young and old, uh -huh. uh, everybody uh -huh. could help. And it was just, uh, it's infinite simplicity. Please place a non-perishable food item on your front porch at noon on the 27th. A volunteer will be there to pick it up. That's the, the, the magic. It was just so easy and so simple. You could be six years old. You could be uh -huh. 65 years old. There was no difference. You could still take part in the day. And the one day, uh, the one big event, I, I think, uh, in our opinion, obviously, is the way to go for something like this for the times that we're facing right now. Yeah, I, I, if I can add to that, um, I had a, um, a truck full of a family member, like a whole family, mom, dad, and the three kids in the back of a Jeep. And they had a Jeep full and a trailer full. And it was, it was so 
heartwarming to see a family uh, come together to do uh, this event, to do this pickup all together. And, and you don't see families so often anymore because the times our lives are busy um to see that it was it was it was very empowering to to witness a family come together and they were so uh cheerful and look at what we got like everybody was so upbeat and and it was such a great opportunity for families to come together and the messages that were also um on boxes and notes hey steve did you see any of the of the notes that were in in the bags or in boxes was just amazing it wasn't just a food drive it was uh about a community coming together about families coming together um, it, it, it was more than just one simple idea. And thank you, Steve, for doing that. I was the whole community. <laughs> <laughs> Your idea, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Far from my idea. The, uh, and the community you did a lot of work. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, I think the, the, the uh, mobilization effort was absolutely tremendous. Um, and uh, what mm -hmm. you were able to do in a short period of time and the, and the organizing, you know, um, and, and for sure that, that second piece, you absolutely um, uh, achieved that. And, and thank you, because I think the community did need uh, that oh. in the time of COVID. I'm wondering, however, you know, on a, a little bit on a more sort of serious note about uh, issues that I think we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show and getting to the to aspects of food insecurity in Canada, particularly in our region as well. Um, and, and what you, you know, what you would say to those who would say that this does not really um, address food insecurity, it's a Band-Aid solution. In this case, it's a massive Band-Aid. Um, but how, how do you uh, connect those two things? What other efforts might there be to um, educate in terms of what truly food insecurity is, because I think, as we know, I, I, I think um, that that's that's about issues of poverty rather than about supply of food or availability of food. Well, I, I can speak from the miracle side. Um, we set out um, to try to solve an immediate need. Um, we're far from experts at uh, events. As Jonathan mentioned, this is about as grassroots as it gets. Um, we saw an opportunity to help. Um, we had a method um, with which to help. And um, that's really as far as it went. Uh, our concern about food security and, and kind of back to the point of a large event versus a small. Um, we all know that the times, uh, we don't know what's happening next. We don't know what's going to happen in September. We don't know what's going to happen in November. Having the amount of food that we have available, I think, relieves some people. Um, that there is food to access, there's a large amount of food to access, and we're probably not going to run short tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. I can't speak to a year from now. I can't speak to the ongoing, um, you know, food security issues. All I can say is we tried to to uh, at least give people uh, a sense of security that they won't go hungry today. And can I, I ask, a, yeah, yeah, thank you. Can I ask a little bit about the logistics? I mean, I know you can't uh, pin down a number, but you mentioned there are at least, um, you know, 15 um, areas of warehousing, et cetera. I mean, this is just uh, massive, incredible. And um, so that's going to be there for a long time. That distribution is not going to happen. I imagine that you have uh, continuous volunteers, as you did on that day, um, in order to participate, to sort uh, you know, the usual, what's expired, what's applicable. 
what are the plans for the long-term sort of storage and distribution of the supply? Maybe that's a better question for you as opposed to the other one, Steve. Maybe fair. Um, so basically, there's there, the, the sorting aspect, is, it's a lot. Um, well, I, I think we did a lot more than we expected um, or, you know, beyond our wildest dreams. So the first step is to sort by like and by expiry. Um, the goal is to get the uh, near expired food out to the community as soon as possible. So you start by sorting by year, you know, 2021 would be more of a longer term plan, whereas 2020 food would be something we try to get out immediately. Um, so you sort by like. Um, we have many partners in this. Uh, Unemployed Help Center is one. They're currently using the food hampers. That's not their regular strategy, nor is it their extreme long-term strategy, but it's working for them in this time. You've also got, uh, you know, good fellows who do things their way. We've got St. Vincent de Paul who do other things. And the goal is, uh, when we started this project, is everybody gets a piece of it. So mm -hmm. from the smallest food bank in the basement of a church to June at the Unemployed Helps or Linda at the Unemployed Helps mm -hmm. Center, everybody gets a share and everybody gets enough uh, to get them through. So from a storage standpoint, um, there's obviously some questions. We've got these arenas secured typically for about a month. Um, so that'll allow us to get our sorting uh, completed. After that, um, the Unemployed Help Center has some warehouse space available in Leamington. The Goodfellows has some warehouse space already. And we're actively looking for more warehouse space to, to store uh, climate controlled. And in these cases, we're not paying for the warehouse. Um, there, we don't have any money. We're not an organization. So um, generally, it's people that are donating um, or we're, you know, we're working with other people to make sure that it's uh, at no cost. Now, Sarah, I'd like to bring you in for this right now. What is, you know, I, I just, I want to know what your take is on uh, yeah, what you so somebody who works as somebody who works in this space and has worked uh, in both government and nonprofit for a number of years. Um, I'm originally from Windsor, but I actually work in the GTA, um, Halton and Hamilton. Um, I, I do first want to say this is a phenomenal effort, uh, very quick, fast. Uh, the community mobilization efforts were outstanding. I was following it uh, closely <laughs> and I just, I couldn't uh, believe how quickly it took off. And it does truly remind us that we are a part of a collective community and that what we do together is, is stronger, right? We're, we're always stronger together. And I think that would, right off the bat, I wanna say I'm very impressed and uh, considering um, Steve had said that you guys have never done this before. Um, and you're really not um, professionals in this space on, on an ongoing basis. So I do wanna congratulate everyone um, on, that, on that tremendous effort. And uh, you know, the amount of food that you've collected is outstanding. Um, when it comes to food security, um, this is a, something that we um, in Halton have a, a pretty good handle on. Um, as you can imagine, the, uh, the need up there is uh, is different than the need in Windsor and uh, that's not to say that um, I think just the numbers are, are quite substantial but um, what we have up in in Halton region is I used to be the executive director of the Halton Poverty Roundtable and that Poverty Roundtable came um, and came to kind of from the same impetus of, of what, as what this is, it was a community-driven effort initially that brought everyone together to talk about issues of poverty. And one of those pillars were food insecurity at the time, and um, along with a couple other things. So coming like from that grassroots level, organizations great. What I think needs to happen next for Windsor coming out of this is with the momentum and the community involvement and the really big interest, is to have something that um, you can come out of there with a policy or a program or some sort of ask. And so what I would recommend is, is a, 
regional level strategy, food, food insecurity, food strategy of some kind that can come together. And a really good place to start that is with your network, coming together, have a strategy session, have some policy and program development, best like, you know, lessons learned, things like that, and really take that learning and push for change. Like this is like, as you said, um, a short-term solution, maybe it's a year long, maybe it's a band-aid, a big band-aid, mm -hmm. but what can we do to move forward as a community and get this done long-term? You know, when you have the fire lit, it's the best time to start going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. When you have people that are interested and uh, are engaged, you definitely want to capitalize on that opportunity because you don't see things like this kind of grassroots uh, coming together uh, as quickly as it does and as the size and scope is it. I mean, we talk regularly on the show about uh, what it takes to try to bring together true grassroots efforts in this community. And uh, it is a uh, uphill battle for many organizations that have tried to pull that off. Now, thank you for that. Uh, I want to bring Steve back in before he has to get going. I know that uh, you're just here for the first segment right now. Um, so just got a few questions left uh, that I wanted to touch on. Do you think it's possible to get the level of mobilization that you saw for an event like this, uh, if it was for a different initiative? I, 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 I'm one of those that has faith in the community um, that when the call comes, um, uh -huh. people, people mobilize. Um, I, you know, I think, I think it's just uh, the simplicity again of this initiative and, you know, people want to help uh, is my comment and most of the time you just don't know where. Um, I can't tell you the number of times uh, corporations or individuals called and said, how can I help? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you can help. You know, we're, we're doing this in three weeks. The best thing to do in an initiative like this is come up with those answers to those questions first. Because as you mentioned, uh, as Sarah mentioned, um, when things are hot, you have to strike. So putting people off for two or three days um, doesn't work. You, you lose engagement very quickly. As quickly as you get it, it's gone. Um, some of the things we tried to do was uh, correspond with our volunteers regularly, give regu regular feedback on our website and on Facebook and on um, Instagram and all the social media platforms. Um, but I absolutely believe um, the community will come together when the call is made. Uh, without uh -huh. yep. Lovely optimism. Now, two quick questions uh, left. I mean, what, how did you figure out what you were trying to achieve with this? I mean, I think you'd agree that like, it was a resounding success. But like, what was that level of measurement where you went like, okay, we did it. And then to, oh my gosh, what have we done? <laughs> um, the first, uh, first 12, in the first uh, 48 hours of, from our launch, we had 1200 volunteers. Yeah. It was kind of a big moment for me um, because I, I didn't know what, we, we had no idea what to expect. Um, that was kind of number one. After that, like I said, it kind of took hold. And if you watch web statistics, you can see the numbers gaining some days and other days you're not getting as many. Trying to figure out what we did on good days versus bad days, um, you know, and do more of that. Um, being there on Saturday, uh, I, I guess there's an intermediate step to seeing the engagement of the captains and doing a final roll call on the Wednesday before, uh, which would, would have been what, the 24th or 25th, seeing how prepared they were. Because um, we sent out kind of a final checklist of items that they, you know, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Everybody kind of getting back within 24 hours of that email with everything's good to go. We're all good um, was another step. Uh -huh. uh, and Saturday, just being there watching people, 
watching the chaos at the WFCU Center. Um, they, they put the last pallet into the WFCU Center at 12.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. We had to actually go back on Sunday and empty one more transport. Um, so another 100 volunteers showed up Sunday. Um, and in the chaos at WFCU on Saturday, I think at 4 o'clock, we put out a radio call and a Facebook call, and 100 people showed up. They showed up at the riverfront. They showed up at WSCU. They showed up at the Ford Test Track. They showed up at the Safety Village to help get those trucks loaded and finished up. Watching, watching a mobilization like that, um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, everybody's tired. Most of these people have worked all day, by the way, coming back and helping more. Um, but with a smile. And then Sunday morning, going to the WSCU after they had been there till 1230, going back at 9 o'clock and seeing the same forklift drivers with smiles on their faces. Uh -huh. It was, uh, it was amazing. It, it, it sounds like it. Um, if you are a community organization that's looking to do fundraising, I would say to uh, hire the team that you've put together there. <laughs> you guys for volunteering with. Awesome. So thank you so much uh, for speaking with us, Steve, about this. I'll let you get going. I know that uh, you've got stuff that you've got to do, and thanks for joining us on Canada Day. And I am going to uh, tee this next segment up uh, for Doug. So again, one more thing is uh, before I leave, um, it really is a sight to behold. Um, so if you guys do have time to come and take a look at WFCU, the pictures don't really do it justice. Um, so if you'd like to come through, just uh, shoot me an email and, uh, you know, we can get to take a look. Okay. Thank you so Thank much you, for coming on the show, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Steve. You. Have a great night. Okay. In this next segment, we're uh, going to dig in a little bit into um, food security uh, in our community. So some numbers from the Windsor-Essex County Health Unit. According to um, their report on food security in Windsor-Essex, more than one in 10 households in Windsor-Essex County are moderately or severely food insecure. That's 10.8% of the households. Um, nearly one in 10 children, 9.7% in Windsor-Essex County are moderately or severely food insecure. And more than a quarter of the low-income households in Windsor-Essex County are moderately or severely food insecure. So there is a significant need in the community. Um, that was reflected uh, in food bank statistics according to the feedontario.ca um, website, which I encourage everyone to go to because there's lots of interesting information there. Um, and I, member food banks, members of, the, of Feed Ontario, uh, had 124,000 visits in 2018. So a pretty, um, a pretty significant need in our community. Sarah, just following up on the comments that you made earlier, um, how, how do we define food security? So I think that that's actually one of the big problems is that food insecurity, food security is defined differently by different organizations. And I think it's really important uh, that everyone's on the same page and, and talking about the same thing. So um, yeah, food insecurity, it really, I think it's self-defined, really. If you feel that you are food insecure as a family or as a community, um, that's something that, that people really need to look internally at. But for you know statistics and government, all those kind of data, that's something that uh, different organizations use different standards for. So I think that that's a really good starting point in coming to a unified definition. Okay. Um how uh, then would we go about quantifying the need in a community? So um, what, I, what I've kind of heard from you is that there is, um, there is an element of self-reporting here. 
Yeah. Um, what tools would you use and what tools have you used in the past to quantify the need in, in a community? So we use the market ba uh, basket measure in Halton. I mean, it's, it's not the best, but we use the poverty, um, the, the, line, the line of poverty that the federal government has outlined. Uh, and our actually stats are the same as yours, it's one in 10 in our community as well. So it seems to be, you're using a, a tool, a data tool that really comes out with one in 10, like if you're raising the numbers. And I think it's, it's not the best uh, approach. And I really think that it kind of doesn't matter if you are in poverty and not in poverty, food secure, food insecure, because people make different decisions with their income and people fluctuate and people are not, um, aren't a statistic. So that's something that I think that would be really important to, uh, to look at deeper in terms of the, and, and Windsor's unique community, Windsor Essex is a, as a unique community. And um, with the sector here, the, the business sector is different than, you know, other areas of Ontario and, and other regions of Canada. And so to put a single measurement across the country, across the province, even across part of the province, I don't think you're going to get what you need to, to dig deeper into what the need actually is. Okay, um, so Linda, let me turn to you and ask you, how do you measure the need in Windsor-Essex? Um, and what are the tools that you use to do that? So we have a, um, a centralized database that uh, 15 lo local food banks that belong to the Windsor-Essex Food Bank Association, and we're affiliate to Feed Ontario and then Food Banks Canada. We have a link to feed database, which we collect data and it gives us our stats, our numbers. We can tell you how many people, individuals, or single, um, you know, parent households, um, uh, who's working, EI, um, Ontario Works dependent, ODSP dependent. We have senior numbers. The database really helps us collect that data and kind of paints a picture of what the need is in our area. How would you say that the, um, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic in 2020 has changed the level of need in our community? Well, I've, you know, I've seen a quite that, like, I often say that, you know, there's no typical face to a food bank user. You have uh, the working poor, you have families that are working two jobs and, you know, uh, two income, maybe three income um, families that are still uh, dependent on a, on a food bank. Um, then you have your Ontario Works, you have students, a lot of international students that are accessing that are, you know, food insecure. So to say that there's one typical face, there isn't. But I've seen over the pandemic, a lot of people that you know don't want to use a food bank, but they know that they need to to provide for their families. Okay. Yeah, I would just echo. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I would just I would just echo as well. Like the face of you know poverty in general or low income families it is not something you would ever expect. In working in this space, you really see such a huge range mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. like you were mentioning and especially with the Windsor having a university with a college with being a border community you have yeah. it's just it's just not who we typically think is in poverty and who needs food um, and who's food insecure and I know um, with our data one in four people who feel hungry won't necessarily go use a food bank because they feel that they're not hungry enough mm. other people are more hungry so give it more to them, hungry. even though yeah. that they are in need 
And that's a, that's a common thing right there. They think that there's other people that need it more than them, uh, that are better, that are worse off than them. But I mean, it's sad to say that anybody can identify that um, just because you, you do have a part-time job or, you know, that you have that. I had a senior that came in, she was crying. She had a dental, on a, on a dental. She had a pension, but she had a dental problem that she had to take care of. And to think because she could, she, she had to pay for that dental, work but she couldn't afford food that month and she said she you know countlessly said you won't see me again you won't see me again and I was like I'm not worried about seeing you again I you know it, it's to have that impression when you're a senior just because of a dental issue that she had to pay for she has a pension but she couldn't feed herself sad there's been a significant amount of um, senior government support uh, for food banks and local food organizations that's been announced um, through the uh, COVID crisis. Um, back in April, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a $100 million investment to improve access to food for um, Canadians facing um, the impacts of the COVID pandemic. So I'll start with you on this, Linda. Um, how has that um, how has that announcement and investment turned into impact on the ground, and how does it change what you're doing day to day? That's a really good question. I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to change much for me. I'm still going to be there to help those individuals. It might be a little bit of a supplement for them. Um, Short term, uh, long term, I'm not too sure. But at the end of the day, every, like the cost of living, everything is going up and people's incomes are not going up. The price of hydro, people are, are telling me, um, you know, I have to pay for my hydro bill. Uh, they're, they're making sacrifices and they're, they're stealing from one little inch of their budget to pay for another bit. You know, I appreciate what, what the prime minister did. But is that a long-term solution or is that just a little fix at this time? I don't so know. Just to clarify, uh, the um, announcement that I'm talking about was direct funding to um, food organizations uh, to... So yeah, that was a yes. um, separate from separate from CERB and SEBA and the other investments that are direct to businesses and people. There was a transfer or an investment of a hundred million into uh, organizations that are focused on food. So my yes. my question was, what um, has that has that flowed through to the organizations that you work with? Yes. So we have received some of the funds. I'm not too sure how much. Um, uh, but we have received it. And so that's going to help us sustain um, our food levels. Uh, not knowing before this miracle day, uh, we were trying to see how, how much food do we have and how can we sustain. Now, you've got to keep in mind a lot of our fundraising um, opportunities have gone down the drain, right? Uh, our galas, our golf tournaments, all those other um fundraising opportunities are not there so this the money that the government kind of fed down down the line to us was really uh, uh, helpful for us to kind of plan ahead so um, it was wonderful it was a great surprise we didn't expect it uh, but when it did happen we were we were quite excited about it um, because it's definitely going to help us sustain for a little bit um, yeah, I, I want to jump in here for a minute. And I think maybe the question that I had directed to Steve earlier 
um, as somebody who sort of not, it did not seem really involved in uh, mm -hmm. food banks before, may have been an unfair sort of question to him because really this is about, you know, and I think he said, you know, people just wanted to help and mm -hmm. uh, they just didn't know what to do and they thought this was the idea. So I suppose when it comes to, um, you know, the idea somehow came to, to you and to the organization and it's certainly um, a great one when you think of it uh, on a simple term of, yes, we're just going to collect a lot of food um, and then we're going to like stock that up and, and we'll have that. So I guess my question is a little broader because, um, you know, when you have this opportunity to mobilize uh, this incredible effort on behalf of the community without, you know, I don't want to take away from anything and all the work that, that everybody is doing. But in terms of sort of, you know, you mentioned the word sustaining, and I don't know that it's just about sustaining the cupboards, but, you know, the, the efforts in the long term to actually resolve some of these issues are much bigger than a food bank. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Is there a community discussion about what all these things mean? And not in any way to take away from what happened, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what would have happened if everybody put out a loony? Um, and, and how we may have been able to address transitional housing in addition to some of the other things. I mean, these are all connected. I, I know that Sarah, you know, um, sort of left it up to our own devices to, to define what food security and food insecurity is, but mm -hmm. I can't help but think it's tied to poverty. And until we get to the root of those um, uh, conversations, we're going to have a real challenging time that we're constantly just doing the same thing. And I know I haven't asked the question, so I'm just going to just a couple more things bear with me, Linda, and you're so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. Um, and, and so I guess what I'm saying is, are we having these community conversations around the bigger issues to mm -hmm. see where everybody fits in? That's the first part of my question. And I guess the second part of my question would be this. Um, whether it's because of the f federal funding that has flown, you know, flown down to um, or flow down to, I guess, to the to the food banks, um, mm -hmm. in addition to this massive effort that we now know has given some breathing rooms, uh, breathing room to the food banks. Is there some kind of either through the organization or through a broader community um, discussion in order to address you know, more is resilient um, um, initiatives, if you will, to address the major issues in our community? Uh, there's always discussion. There's always, um, I'm not directly involved in those conversations because I am a frontline uh, worker. I'm more of the hands-on. I provide more of the stories, like I said, in the stats. But um, there is a food, a food security uh, a group uh, here in Windsor, I've gone to a few meetings. I'm not too sure um, if there, I don't believe that there has been any talk during this pandemic about that, but there's always issues and there will always be issues. I don't know if there is any solutions to our poverty, right? Um, the people that I see, do they want to live in poverty? No. Do people choose? Some people do, but for the most part, people don't choose. They don't want to live the way they are. And, and now those are the stories. That's the feedback that I get uh, from people that, that come into the food bank. Uh, I brought up the issue about income, um, you know, the prices of, of things going up and nobody's income going up. Ontario works trying to survive off of what they have to survive off of is kind of um, 
disheartening. And if, you know, they, they smoke or, you know, cable, what's cable? <laughs> uh, what's, what's a telephone? A lot of people don't have a telephone. And, you know, is there a solution to poverty? There's many solutions and in, in, in different people can identify in different ways, right? Whether it be um, education or, um, uh, you know, just having that opportunity, their age could be a barrier. Uh, not having that telephone for when they do get that call for, for a job interview. Um, there's so much, you know, poverty isn't just one little, one little problem. I think that the poverty trickles down to a bunch of little problems that, that yeah. end up in the poverty. Can I just pop in and uh, yes. adjust? So Pat, Pat, that question is a question that's been sort of like age old in the sector, at least for a very long time. There's always the debate of uh, kind of what's the uh, driving force here for food insecurity. And it is having like a lack of consistent access to healthy and nutritious food that will allow you to live a ha happy and healthy life. Like ultimately that's the definition, but poverty, and this is not a slide on food banks, but poverty is not hunger. Poverty is a, is a symptom of a larger issue that we have as a mm -hmm. society. And food mm -hmm. banks were created in the 80s to have a short-term solution to an economic problem at that time. This was never a, a system that was made to be ingrained in our culture, in our society. Like that was not supposed to happen and it has happened. And it's something that we now can say, oh, look, we're, we're helping, but maybe the system isn't made for that. It, it, it's broader. Like you were saying, transitional housing, income supports, having mental health resources, having all of these things. And these are government issues. These are provincial, federal, municipal, regional issues that need to be addressed in, in a policy in, in legislation in all kinds of ways. And, and there have been approaches here and there. And we do have a, a, an election cycle that's only four years. So these longer term issues have small banded solutions. And we're seeing now the, the problem with things when COVID hits. We're seeing upticks in all of these areas. But really, we're just teetering with all of these problems, like all these solutions that are temporary or we're supposed to be temporary. Mm -hmm. And I, I find I'm very lucky being um, our food bank being in a community agency because I have that opportunity to make referrals. We do have programs at the Unemployed Health Center that I make referrals for job searching, resume writing. We have Keep the Heat. We have um, uh, job training opportunities, um, you know, uh, GED opportunities to upgrade their education. So I find, uh, you know, like, where I'm at being in a community agency, I'm very lucky that I do have that referral system uh, that allows me to help individuals. Uh, once I build that relationship, of course, I can make that referral and um, I, I do see some success with moving them forward. You know, one, one of the things that um, brought us to, to today's show um, was actually Doug's Twitter, I think, I think that it was, um, uh, a Twitter post uh, about you know, starting really from a miracle, but it really wasn't about the event. I don't think, Doug, and I'll let you speak for yourself. Can you describe uh, your experience uh, looking uh, for data? Because I think we're, you know, we're sort of uh, talking about these things um, and there's some, you know, we have federal numbers, we have um, provincial numbers, we, we hear, it depends how you measure it, we've got local. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your sort of journey to uh, finding data. Sure, I'm going to do that. I just want to react to the, the stuff that was just talked about, if you don't mind. Um, uh, 
long-term long-term policy to address poverty in Canada. Um, the Canadian federal government has a uh, poverty reduction strategy. Relative to the 2015 level of poverty, the target was a 20% reduction in poverty by 2020, which was achieved, and a 50% reduction in poverty by 2030. And the, the policy instrument that has achieved that is cash transfers to Canadians. The Canada Child Benefit, That's right. the Canada Worker Benefit, um, increases to the Guaranteed Income Supplement. Those are, um, at least in my mind, I'm not an expert on this, but to me, if you, um, if you want to change the picture of poverty in Canada, um, the way to do it is to get money to people who need it. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there, uh, and I'll now answer your question, Pat. I, I know I'm not always great at taking direction. Um, so I looked at the, uh, I was really curious about the, um, the impact of Miracle Day in Windsor-Essex. I, uh, I saw the numbers, I saw the excitement happening on social media, I saw the people going down my street, and I was really curious about what kind of impact this could have. So um, my experience was that I found it pretty tough to actually pin down hard data. Um, data is collected by a lot of different agencies. Um, food is distributed by a lot of different agencies. Some agencies collect data, some agencies don't. Some, for uh, policy or ideological reasons, don't think that you should collect data on the people that you are serving, um, which is interesting, but then that becomes problematic when it's time to actually try to measure your impact. Um, I, I think Linda mentioned this and alluded to it that the, um, there is a food bank association in Windsor-Essex, but that is 15 food banks and there are many, many more. Okay. Um, so it's really hard to even pin down um, what the amount is of, of service that's happening in the community. Um, and I think we heard when we started talking earlier about, um, about the definition of food security, that some of the definitions and terminology in this space are uh, somewhat difficult to understand. Um, there is, there is a concept of a hamper, um, a hamper of food, and, and uh, I think different jurisdictions may define the length of time that a hamper is, um, is going to serve a family for in different ways. So it makes it really hard to compare um, one region to another. I couldn't find um, good numbers on how much food was donated in Windsor-Essex, so I had to look to London and uh, take a look at the, um, the London experience. And they reported in 2016, 2 million pounds of food was, um, was donated to the London Food Bank. Um, so I did a little bit of math. I took those numbers. I took what numbers I could find for Windsor-Essex. Um, and one of the things that really surprised me was that raw poundage of donation, what it translated into in terms of a hamper, at least in London, it was roughly 40 pounds of, of donated food uh -huh. um, that resulted in one hamper to be distributed. So um, all really interesting, but also um, really challenging because at the end of uh, you know, a, a decent amount of, of research and, and math and writing numbers down and whatnot, uh, I, didn't, I still didn't have a clear picture. And I do feel like a clear picture of what's happening in our community is really, really essential. So maybe um, um, we'll go to Sarah and, um, you know, is this a, a challenge, a general problem in measuring and acting on food security and, and what so, can be done about that? 
Yeah, I do think that that's uh, one of the major issues that, that we face um, because food security is so complicated that, that we think it's easy. Uh, and in Halton, for example, we have a great organization called Food for Life. Food for Life is a food rescue and distribution organization that was created in 2005. So they're fairly, you know, established. And um, they have, um, they serve over 107 food programs in our region. So a food program can be a church basement, it can be a, a women's shelter, it can be anything like that, but also the big food banks that we have. Um, so 107 food banks are given food, rescued food or donated food and distributed through Food for Life. Um, it's similar to Second Harvest in Toronto, but, um, and they're just, Food for Life is just expanding into Hamilton area now. And so that's something that they kind of have seen a need for is the overarching umbrella for food data, food you know, rescuing and security. So you get um, the ability to rescue food from big corporations and restaurants and grocery stores, but at the same time, you're also, uh, and what their, their focus is on is, um, is fresh fruits and vegetables, meats, protein, yogurts, dairy, that kind of stuff. Um, and the food banks themselves do the traditional food bank kind of food. And so even that, it's, it's difficult to uh, measure, but uh, it's a little bit better because there's an overarching umbrella. Uh, so Linda, um, what statistics does uh, the unemployed health community? So we do a lot of our reporting to United Way because they're the ones, they've really taken the lead. Um, but um, what kind of, like we report unique households, unique individuals, and then total served. So with my, uh, the data that we collect, I can tell you how many people uh, uniquely visited a food bank, um, and then how many, uh, so even though we, we have a unique number, that individual may have visited my food bank or another food bank or may have, might have come to my food bank twice in a month. So I can give you like a total. So let me give you an example. Uh, for June, uh, I don't have everything quite collected, but for June, um, uniquely, we have so far 2,911 children Adult-wise, uh, uniquely is 4,935, but the total for adults and children uh, visiting the Unemployed Help Center was 11,367. So that's the number of visits. And, right. and I know, Sarah, you want to come in here, but I guess my question would be, you know, and, and thank you for being here and thank you for, for sharing that, but I, I guess the question is, is there a, a reporting to the community uh, um, you know, in, in sort of an update of numbers where, uh, you know, I'm going to get in trouble by calling in the geeks, but, but those with the data that need the data to be able to, you know, uh, see the trends, right? And that's where yes. sort of policy discussion comes from. Is right. that happening? And then I guess the other question would be, um, do you also have data on what is collected? Like, um, uh, or, you know, yeah. the number, the, the volume that we're talking about? Yeah, so we're with the Windsor Essex Food Bank Association and that link to feed, um, we're totally transparent. And whenever the media calls, uh, United Way needs any numbers, we're more than willing to provide uh, those numbers. June, my she's the president of the Windsor Essex Food Bank Association. She answers more to those kind of uh, uh, number requests, not so much myself, but we're very much uh, transparent. We do collect data as to how much 
pounds come in. We do have a food rescue program uh, at the Unemployed Health Centre called uh, Plentiful Harvest, where we've rescued millions and millions of pounds of fresh produce in the Leamington area, the greenhouses. Um, but our relationship with Feed Ontario and Food Banks Canada, we started rescuing food in um, uh, grocery stores. Metro has a uh, pilot program, Walmart, Loblaws, that kind of stuff. So we do have data on that. I just don't have full access to it right now. But definitely, that's we're very transparent. Anybody needs to wants to ask us about any of that stuff, we're more than willing to provide that. I don't know, Sarah. If, I don't know if you wanted to jump in here. Yeah, I was just um, thinking of an example that we have up in Halton um, about kind of your question about data and how reliable it is. So some, like um, Doug was saying, some food banks uh, and food organizations require the data and some do not. Um, but there are stories of, of people that we've come across with in our organization um, who actually travel and spend over 20 hours a week procuring food from their families through food banks alone. So they'll go to one food bank on Monday and because they're only allowed to go once a month, they'll do that. And then the following week, they'll go Thursday, Friday to another food bank where they're able to go once a month. So it's, it's very, it becomes a job to procure enough food for your family because there are restrictions and the data that's being collected is not reflective of who's able to go where and when and how often they're actually tapping in. So wouldn't it be more efficient to have one spot where that family can go meet their need that they have determined is their need or, you know, through conversations, through some sort of like, and, and not be able to spend 20 hours going on public transit to go to all these places, but really have the dignity, the food dignity that's, you know, for, the, for their family. Well, it's interesting when I was doing a little bit of research, you mentioned uh, getting on public transit and uh, one of the aspects of food security uh, and, and conversely food insecurity that I had seen was actually the ability to access the food bank, right? And actually mm -hmm. getting there. So, so getting to it um, and the mm -hmm. importance of all those other aspects that we were talking about. And I know we're coming to, to an end. And um, so I'd like to give everybody sort of a, a last opportunity to, you know, to say anything that's left um, that you haven't. But I, I think that in, in the times of COVID, but also in, um, the time of what we're seeing to be some, you know, social uprising and social um, uh, focus on a lot of other aspects of inequality and social justice in our community. I don't think that um, it's any different. Uh, it, it crosses all sectors. And I didn't have uh, local numbers. I listened to a podcast actually um, for federal numbers. And I assume it, it probably translates, um, you know, provincially and locally to us. You know, 4.4 million uh, people are food insecure. Uh, this was before COVID numbers in Canada, including one in six children who are food insecure. Uh, but Black Canadian households are 3.5 uh, times more likely than white Canadian households to, to experience food insecurity. And half of all our First Nations families, uh, First Nations, you know, peoples, uh, Indigenous peoples, Métis, Inuit, whether on reserve or in urban uh, centers uh, are food insecure. So, um, you know, I think that in the context of COVID and everything that's going on in our the current circumstances, a little bit of um, uh, commentary about um, these are systemic issues and, and maybe even systematic issues that we <laughs> see, inequality. What is it that food banks can do to um, be part of that solution? Uh, well, I think providing that data is the number is the key thing because we can all assume, you know, um, 
those numbers, right? But without that valid of those of the, that data that we collect in the link to feed, uh, I think it's, we have to validate those numbers and being able to validate those numbers are the key thing. And then taking those numbers and seeing how we can lobby and how we can, you know, mobilize. Let's see what we can do collectively to see how, um, how far can we, can we resolve this? Great. Thank you. Doug, I know you want to come in and then we'll do a little mm -hmm. bit of wrap up. I know we're reaching our hour. Sure. Um, I, I just want to just chime in and Linda, uh, your your invitation um, to ask for any information that uh, that we might want is uh, really welcome, and uh, I, I have to say so. This is not the first person um, at the unemployed health center help center who has um, uh, made that offer, and that's tremendous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would re I would respectfully and very kindly suggest that uh, public reporting of data in a structured way has so mm -hmm. much more power mm -hmm. than um, responding to um, requests for information. I know yeah. that um, Feed Ontario does some terrific reporting yeah. um, and I used some of that uh, in my mm -hmm. research. I, I looked mm -hmm. at that, um, but what's, what frustrated me was digging down into local and, and mm -hmm. having such a difficult time. Um, there are, there have been a couple of mm -hmm. um, reports uh, I, I mentioned some WeChu data uh, at the top of this um, segment or at an earlier point in this segment, and um, they did a tremendous report on the food supply, food security, um, food availability in Windsor, Essex, uh, that was obviously a tremendous amount of research um, over 300 pages of information on everything from where the grocery stores are to what the farms grow to poverty and food insecurity in our community. It was really an incredible piece of work. Um, the problem with that is that uh, it's a snapshot in time and having such a heavy lift to produce this comprehensive report uh, employing multiple researchers pulling from multiple different sources in order to get all of this information, um, it makes it hard for the community to get involved uh, and for the community to provide um, good feedback on the information that it receives. And I would suggest that it's, it makes it tough for, um, it makes it tough for the community to have a really um, deep and, and well-grounded conversation about poverty and food insecurity in our community. And that was really one of the things that drove me to start this conversation on Twitter. And, and I guess we're, we're kind of concluding it here. Um, is, is that uh, if we don't have the information at our fingertips and we're not, we're not speaking from uh, a place of common understanding, it becomes really difficult to seek and find solutions and for the public to understand what those solutions might be. Thank you, Doug. And I think we may have, uh, um, hopefully Linda can, can reconnect. I think we just lost connection. And um, so we uh, won't be able to give her the last word. So if she doesn't get back on, I, I want to thank Linda very much uh, for taking the time uh, to come on. And as she mentioned, um, you know, she's a frontline worker in this, um, in, in this challenge that we have uh, and not necessarily representative of being able to, to talk about all the strategic directions of an organization. But I think those are uh, really valid questions for us to be asking and, and, you know, going on the heels of what you said and being able to have the data so that we can have those discussions. So the last word is going to go to Sarah. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Um, um, you know, I, I didn't know that you were originally from Windsor and have... Uh,
to, um, to Halton where you are uh, now. Uh, so that's a great, wonderful uh, connection to us locally. So that's um, wonderful that you are here and taking the time. I'd like to give the last word for you. Anything you want to wrap up in terms of uh, the, to, you know, this hour's discussion, uh, generally about um, uh, food security or food insecurity, if you will, uh, or even on the heels of this massive mobilization aid um, that we have done in this community and maybe you know, some wise words about what, what we could be doing uh, moving forward. Yeah, I would. Uh, well, thank you for having me. First of all, yeah, I'm actually in Windsor right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, my family's here. We're, I'm very close to my. It's very close to my heart. I left uh, during the recession, unfortunately, uh, for work up in the Toronto area. But I do follow very closely everything happening here, and I, I'd love to lend my expertise as well where I can. So I would just say, um, continue on the heels of this great mobilization and the community spirit and the passion that's there, and really try to solidify as a community what you can coming out of this like this is a great tangible thing that you have you can you have a, lots of uh, food uh, to be used but coming out of this we really need something that's tangible um, I would recommend using your um, community safety and well-being plan your tables from municipality getting um, larger organizations involved and uh, and really moving towards something uh, tangible coming out of this that's a great way to, uh, to end a positive note and uh, hopefully good work uh, was done and, 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 and the community can continue to build on it locally uh, as we search for more sustainable long-term solutions, I, I think. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody, for listening to uh, this edition, the Canada Day edition of Rose City Politics. And uh, thank you to um, uh, Linda Davidson from the food, uh, the food Bank Coordinator at the Unemployed Health Centre Thank you, Sarah, Senior Manager of Community Impact at the Hamilton Halton United Way and uh, currently in Windsor, Ontario. Right after this, I'm going to uh, talk about the great patios that are open that you should visit. Uh, thank you, Steve Truant, um, who uh, was one of the lead organizers for the June 27th Miracle Day. John Lickey um, had to leave earlier, but one of our co-hosts, Doug Sartori, I'm Pat Papadeus. As always, thank you to Rose City Politics uh, uh, supporters, and main sponsors, Liona 625, Building Better Communities. Have a good night.